Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 25, and we're reviewing Vinland Saga Part 2. As always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. This is our first episode of Strictly Anime for 2021, and I'm excited for what this year has in store for us because already anime in 2021 is amazing. It's so amazing. We've got Attack on Titan. We've got, well, me personally, I'm really excited about Yasha Human. I'm sure any other Inuyasha fans mm-hmm. are excited about that. Um, and it got really good, too, with this most recent episode. Um, so that that's something to look forward to. We've got Promised Neverland, which is already off to a crazy start, and we can't wait to talk about that. Um, I'm diving into Akudama Drive pretty soon because that got some really good reviews. I, I don't think that was a 2021 anime. I think it wrapped up before that, but um, it's 2021 for us. Yeah, not only that, um, you're seeing anime, not that it's already been more in the mainstream, but... I recently saw an ESPN post that used a scene from Naruto, I think, um, in talking about an, an NFL game, which was kind of odd, but that's the state of 2021 right now. I feel like Arby's was on this this uh, anime hype way before any other company. Oh, yeah. Do you were. remember their Facebook posts? And I don't know if anyone listening had ever seen them, but um, they had these amazing Facebook posts where... It was pretty much just marketing their their food or whatever, but they would like take like items from their restaurant, whether it's like a ketchup packet or like French fries or cardboard from like the boxes that they put their sandwiches in, and they would like replicate anime characters or like moments from anime or anime weapons or even gaming stuff too. And I'm like, Arby's marketing team is fucking amazing, brilliant. They, yeah, they were ahead of the game. And so you see these other companies kind of ju- jumping into it. And the ESPN, the ESPN one felt a little meh. forced. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't really necessarily associate them with wanting to do that. But the, the Arby's one was good. I think they did it really well. And I do remember there was a Bleacher Report uh, video that used clips from JoJo um, in showing like a, a play during an NBA game. Wait, <laughs> really? How come I've never seen this? Was it good? Uh, did they do it well? I mean, it was it was funny, but... Yeah, just seeing an anime reference in something as mainstream as like professional sports leagues in America, this is very odd. <laughs> yeah. You also have a lot of, not a lot, but a couple of celebrities are pretty open about watching anime. Of course, Megan The Stallion, who I'm a big fan of Megan The Stallion, um, she talks about Naruto or raps about Naruto in one of her songs. Um, she's open about the anime she's watching. I think she's in the middle of Black Clover right now. She tweets about it sometimes. I'm like, this is amazing. And then you've got um, Khalid. Khalid. Yeah, he wore, I think this was like a couple of years ago, but he wore a t-shirt at one of his concerts that had All Might on it. And then someone tweeted at him. He's like, yeah, I love My Hero Academia. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. And then, of course, Michael B. Jordan. Oh, yeah, because they were saying that his Black Panther um, villain outfit was inspired by Vegeta. Yeah, and then he came out with that collab with Coach of all companies with um, the Naruto stuff, which, you know, I would buy a Coach purse, but I wouldn't buy it if it's a Naruto one. Only because I didn't watch Naruto, but if he had like a Bebop collab or something with Coach, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. And all these fucking weebs. <laughs> but yeah, good things in store for, for 2021. We're, we're excited to, to be kicking it off with a really good episode we get to talk about the latter half of vidlin saga so let's jump into that 
Actually, before we dive in, we wanted to dedicate this episode to our good friend, Kevin, who originally recommended Vinland Saga to us because this show slaps. But not like an in-memoriam kind of dedication because he's he's very much alive, so I don't <laughs> want to make any cause for concern. But we do appreciate your support, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for recommending this because I felt like we were sleeping on this now that I've watched it. And I'm glad you... you uh... I'm glad that you hyped it up because it definitely lived up to the hype now that we finished it. Mm-hmm. So with that said, what what are your thoughts? Now that we've finished Vinland Saga, what are your thoughts on what you've seen? I think I've said this time and again, I always take the first part of most animes with a grain of salt. And I think I always say like, you know, this part's not, this first half's not really interesting. But uh, again, in the case of Vinland Saga, I thought it was a much more engrossing second half it's kind of interesting that the focus is less on Torfin and more so on Askeladd and with that wild revelation I guess in this first episode that we're going to talk about that he's despised the Vikings all along despite having led them um, this far is just an interesting plot device to see develop throughout this second half Um, I also like that the second half is very philosophical compared to the first point or to the first part and it touches upon many topics that they've already discussed like violence and vengeance but also just religion and the concept of leadership what about you yeah i think the second half was significantly better and well okay i don't want to say significantly better but much better um that's not to say i didn't enjoy the first half the first half was a lot of emotion um a lot of world building and storytelling kind of getting us up to speed um on who these characters really are and i very much appreciated that but it didn't capture my attention quite the way the second half did um i found it very odd that they made such a a distinct shift from Thorfinn being the focus to Askeladd being the focus but once I finished watching it I'm like yes that makes sense obviously because of the limited time they had with Askeladd to tell his story but also because he's just an interesting character he's a very compelling character one that you you want to hate but you love and you can't really hate like it's he's very conflicting in like the best way I found him so intriguing Thorfinn can sometimes feel a little flat or one note um, I think he's getting better, at least in the second half. But yeah, Askeladd was just, he was a, a, a wild ride and I was all for it. Yeah, he was definitely one of those, again, like you said, characters that you, you want to hate, but becomes more a part of that gray area where you, like, you understand where he's coming from and what he's trying to process um, in his journey throughout uh, throughout the series. Um, both physically in trying to reach Gainsborough and I guess mentally and always hearkening back to what Torres had mentioned to him about keeping his promise as a warrior. The opening and ending for this half, that's something I do want to call out too, as we always do before we dive into the synopsis, but the opening and ending for this half was, in my opinion, much better. Um, we talked in the last episode about Vinland Saga about the opening just being way too emotional i think they were trying to evoke that like raw anger and fury that thorfinn had as a kid but it just like i don't know to me it was it was weird 
Um, I didn't enjoy it. It was like an okay opening in terms of visuals, but this opening for the second half, I think fits a lot better. It's a little more modern than I would have expected for, um, a show all about Vikings and, and set in that time period. Again, especially with the score, the music that the show has, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, but I think it fit better. I enjoyed it more. I, I didn't, you know, I don't think you know, there was much skipping happening of, of this opening and the visuals were fantastic. I mean, just the way everything was drawn, the really cool shot of Thorfinn dodging that axe, which you find out later is I think Thorkel's um, axe going over his head. Just like everything looks so good in this opening. And the ending was also a big improvement. I really enjoy the song. And at first I didn't think it really fit the show, but I think the more I listened to it, I... I think it fit the softer side of of the show, which is Thor's and Thorfinn's family and just trying to remain human in a, I don't know, an era or a world that is just so savage and and dangerous and, and all of that. So I, I think the ending was a good fit after I listened to it a couple of times and the opening I enjoyed much more, but the visuals were just like on point. Yeah, for reference, the opening in the second half uh, the title is Dark Crow by Man with a Mission, and the ending song is Drown by Millet. Um, I kind of agree with all the points that you made. These two, or this second opening and ending, um, was less in your face, and I didn't think like they were outstanding, but I, I took them for what they were. Um, and yeah, they were just a lot more tolerable. I would say the ending, the singer sounds like a Japanese, like Andra Day, if anyone's familiar with her. Oh, I can see that. Um, yeah, she's, Andre Day is basically like, I would say like Rihanna, but with a jazzier voice. Um, the only thing I want to mention about the opening, though, is that there's a quote that flashes on the screen as, I guess, they're bagpipes that are playing, which is kind of weird because bagpipes are more of like a Scottish cultural thing. Yeah. Um, but the quote is, like rowing a boat, we enter the future backwards. All we see are the scenes of the past, and no one cannot see the views of tomorrow which i think is a typo i think it's meant to say no one can see the views of tomorrow um i think that quote kind of encapsulates the the philosophy of this second half where again torfin kind of focuses so much on his father's death that he's still like hell-bent on revenge against Askeladd, and at the same time Askeladd is kind of dealing with the demons of his past and trying to reconcile that with what he's planning to do with both torfin and Canute uh, in the future. Um, so I just wanted to point that quote out as, again, kind of encompassing what this second half is all about. I'm glad you said that because I never stopped to read that opening. I don't know. The opening card for me was looked really cheesy. It kind of reminded me of like something you would see on MySpace from like one of your really angsty friends who thought they were edgy. Um, like those flashy gift things. Yeah. On. <laughs> just like some like, like emo kid or something, like putting some really deep... Um, quote on like some other image and using some really cheesy font that that's just the vibe i got from it so i never actually stopped to read it so i'm, I'm glad that you you mentioned that because now i know what it says yeah so with that all said and done let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis starting with episode 13 child of a hero after a brief flashback of a young Ascalad with his mother lydia emerging from the sea we hear floki the four squared give the king of denmark a nice recap of the first 12 episodes Back at Burkiniog, Askeladd negotiates with the local forces and reveals his Welsh and supposedly royal ancestry, claiming that he will protect Wales and take down the savage Viking beasts that he secretly calls friends. 
Askeladd encourages Prince Zelda to say something to the Brachiniog forces, but he is too chicken shit to come up with something, and Team Askeladd pretends to be their prisoners for safe passage through Brachiniog while Sorfin Torfin ridicules Prince Zelda for being the princess he really is. The one thing I'll point out about this episode is the scene between Canute and Torfin. Uh, I think this is the first time that Canute has talked to someone else besides Ragnar so openly. Um, but the one thing I find interesting is that the scene kind of reinforces that Canute and Torfin are polar opposites in their thinking and their actions, despite being of the same age. And their upbringing, too. I think we talked about this in the last episode, but Thorfinn, while he had a, a very kind and happy upbringing, I mean, shortly after, he, he became a Viking, basically, and had to grow up with these, you know, crazy guys. And Canute has been completely sheltered, even though he's in the middle of this battle. I mean, he's still sheltered, especially by Ragnar. Um, so I, I love that, too. I, I think that was a great scene, just seeing the dynamic between the two of them, because they're very opposite in, in almost every way. Um, and I think, you know, Canute's title doesn't scare Thorfinn, but also Thorfinn's brashness doesn't scare Canute, despite everything else scaring Canute. So that was a really cool scene. Yeah, so you'll see this comparison between Canute and Thorfinn throughout the series, and I'll comment on this, uh, I think, in the last episode of, of the series. But, yeah, just seeing their dynamic is one thing that I really enjoyed about this second half. In episode 14, The Light of Dawn, Team Askeladd crosses northern Mercia in the bitter cold and pillages a village of Christian peasants. They decide to kill the villagers so that no one can rat them out, all while a young female villager named Anne deliberates on whether or not she is going to hell for stealing a cheap ring. I'd say you're pretty okay in God's eyes at this point, Anne, so no worries there. This might be one of my favorite episodes of the show, um, not because of all the horrible things that happen, but because this episode starts off very humorous and ends very intense and sad. Um, it's a stark reminder that although we're watching these characters and becoming more familiar with them, even if we start to like some of them, they're still innately bad. And that leaves us as the viewer, you know, feeling conflicted and Again, like with Askeladd, it's it's feeling conflicted in, in a good way and kind of like an interesting way, not like a frustrating way. Um, it's It makes you really question, you know, how much can you forgive somebody um, despite how much you know about them and what they've done? Yeah, this episode, it almost felt like a one-off or even a filler episode, if you could see it in that light. But it's, it's definitely um, a thought-provoking one. Again, this is where you start to see more of the show commenting on religion. Um, you get a text in the beginning and later half of this episode saying, like, why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? And then, again, this is in reference to um, uh, the Christian God. Um, the later text says, but thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. Um, and this is something that Canute is going to reflect on, I think, in the very next episode. Um, you know, this concept of, of like religion playing a role in this, in these people's lives. You got like Vikings had their Norse religion and then you have these Englishmen, um, with their Christian religions, but like you get a reality check in this episode, um, especially with Anne, cause you know, she's fretting over stealing a very material thing, but then you have these Vikings that just go ahead and like ravage her village and kill all of her fellow family and friends 
And Thorfinn wasn't even in this episode. This is the moment where you really felt the focus shifting onto Askeladd. Um, because this is all about him, the difficult decisions that he makes. And I guess, well, they're difficult, but he seems to make them with ease. Um, and overall, it's very difficult to read Askeladd's true intentions, which is probably why um, Bjorn, and I think maybe the previous episode, episode 13, said that they've known each other for about 20 years and he still knows almost nothing about him. Um, you know, Askeladd seems like sometimes he's compassionate, maybe a little bit compassionate, not a ton. And then other times, like in this episode, you know, he, he makes that, that tough decision, but almost with no remorse. Like it's one thing to make a tough decision, but feel conflicted about it and feel remorseful and hesitant about it. But he makes these tough decisions and like, doesn't care. He just like, is like, we got to kill these people. Otherwise they're going to tell everyone where we're at. And to that point, I think, again, this is establishing that. Um, and this is something that we'll see in later episodes, like with Askeladd's backstory, is that he is so ingrained in this Viking life and this warrior life that he, not that he doesn't know any other way, but this is just how he sees things. Kind of like, again, <laughs> to make a Mandalorian reference, like this is the way for him. Um, the only other thing I want to mention about this episode, you see that 3D axe shot in the beginning and then you see that again right before they kill all the villagers. It was just a weird visual for me because yeah, it, it's in that almost like CGI kind of realm. And then there's another shot where it's like a panoramic view of Thor's attacking Askeladd's men, which like it's, it's I, I, I get that it's visually appealing, um, but I don't know. It looks strange. Yeah. Again, this goes back to our gripes again with CGI in general. In episode 15, after Yule, in Gloucester, Torkel the tank engine sulks over losing Prince Zelda's whereabouts, but Anne informs his troops of the village massacre. We also learn that England is tired of war and ready to surrender to Denmark, but that the heir to the Danish throne is in conflict between Prince Zelda and his brother Harold. We also also learn that Team Askeladd is starting to question the head honcho's leadership ability, while Askeladd himself kills Ragnar in order to instill in Prince Zelda some type of authentic leadership quality. So in this episode, we see um, both a side of Canoe and a side of Thorfinn that we haven't quite seen before. Um, I think Thorfinn is like slowly warming up to Canute after Canute, um, you know, stood his ground and talked back to, to, Thor to Thorfinn. Um, and Thorfinn was also seemingly taken back when Canute said that fathers love their sons. I think that was a moment where Thorfinn maybe felt a connection or some sort of relatability to Canute, um, besides the fact that they're around the same age, um, because there's obviously some some daddy issues there on both sides. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and Canute shows more of his true kind nature, and Thorfinn hasn't seen kindness in so long that throughout this episode he seems kind of unsure about how to handle it. Um, so I just I, I enjoyed every time I see Canute and Thorfinn interact. I just I enjoy seeing that, you know. Not on screen or whatever, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And then you see a little bit more commentary on religion here. And this is where, I guess, Canute's religious viewpoints start to almost come into question for him. Because um, they're praying for the victims of the village attack. And as the priest is leading the prayer, he starts to question God's... He starts to question God's actions um, and doubting whether or not he has love for the people that um, follow Christianity 
and Canute has to reprimand the priest, and that's where, again, he goes into what you were saying about every father loving his own child. But that, again, that belief in religion becomes in conflict here and is sort of what allows Canute to start to shape his ability to be a true leader um, of, like, the Vikings and of Denmark that we'll see later on in the series. I also really loved that plot twist that the king wants Canute to die so that Harold can take the throne. Um, not because of the plot twist itself, but because what it means for everything around it. We, you know, at this point in the show, we don't know if we can truly trust Askeladd to protect Canute because we cannot figure out what his true intentions are. He's very difficult to read. Um, and at the same time, like Thorfinn doesn't seem like the type to feel compassionate enough to want to protect somebody, but he may be the only one who can protect him if Askeladd, you know, turns on him. So when I was watching this, I'm like, ooh, okay, like which, this could go multiple directions. You know, how is this all going to end up? Mm -hmm. The last thing I'll say about this episode, um, more with the visuals, I like how when they show Thorfinn and Ragnar um, eating their, their meals, they eat out of their bowls, kind of like the Japanese do, where they raise it to their mouth. Oh yeah, and then they kind of scoop the food into their mouth. <laughs> Just a reminder that this is this is an anime. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they did it, they did actually eat like that among I, the Vikings, but somehow I doubt. That. <laughs> yeah, I doubt they would be that proper and just again bringing the the bowl up to. It. I would imagine they just ravish their food like they they kill everyone around. Or them. that at least the orphan would. <laughs> mm -hmm. And. One other visual is that we see a shield wall, which is apparently like a, a Viking tactic. And this was also seen in the, the history um, channel show uh, Vikings. So nice to see them include that uh, in this show. In episode 16, History of Beasts, Askeladd tortures a captured English captain for information on troop movements and instructs Sorfin Torfin to guard Prince Zelda. He soon learns that Torkel the tank engine is only a literal spear's throw away, and Team Askeladd is so done with their leader's shit that they stage a mutiny worthy of Captain Jack Sparrow. Only two things I have with this episode. The way that they show the English captain being tortured where they cut off his fingertips. That was, man, that was gruesome. That was brutal. Like, I, don't, I usually don't squirm when I see animated gore like that, but... I don't know, that just, that was gross. <laughs> the second thing is Torkel sneezes when he is talked about by other characters um, in the episode, which again reminds us that we are watching an anime because I believe that is a Japanese superstition, right? Yeah. In episode 17, Servant, before Askeladd faces down his former Viking brethren, he recalls his sickly mother's story about King Artorius B.I.G., his royal ancestor who would return from Avalon to save them from their suffering. He then proceeds to slice and dice his crew while Bjorn escapes with Prince Zelda and Sorfin Torfin, unleashing Bjorn Kikong once more after the group is apprehended by some mutineers. Sorfin Torfin manages to ride back to an arrow-laden Askeladd to make sure that his fatherly foe is still alive enough to exact his own vengeance, until Torkel the tank engine busts in, and they prepare for a David versus Goliath duel over Askeladd's fate. One interesting thing in this episode is that Askeladd takes multiple arrows to the body, much like Tors did. So, oh, I didn't notice yeah, that. Very interesting parallel there. And of course, uh, Torfin with his daddy issues has to go back to <laughs> Askeladd to make sure that 
the guy's still alive. Yeah. One other thing with this episode that I wanted to note is that you notice that Askeladd's troops are suddenly so reluctant to fight against Torkel and his troops once they arrive. Um, and kind of commenting on, you know, the consequences of violence and whether or not, like, it's worth engaging in violent acts in the end. Because we know, like, again, Vikings were all about being warriors and, and fighting for glory, but now that Askeladd's troops are receiving the short end of the stick, they're starting to, again, question that mentality. And this, I feel, is what kind of plays into Askeladd's actions um, in the second half. Yeah, it's one thing to talk big. It's another thing, like to to act big in the moment and yeah i mean it's just interesting to see that that philosophy that that mentality that you grow up with really being challenged and put to the test and see how how people actually react to it moving on to episode 18 out of the cradle this episode makes no haste as we are thrown right in the thick of sorf and torfin and torkel the tank engine's duel meanwhile prince zelda reconciles with a vision of ragnar who regrets having raised him as a son and not a warrior prince, and finally mans the fuck up to kingly duties after a conversation with the priest about the concept of love. By the way, did you know the priest's name is Willibald? Neither did we. Prince Zelda exercises the demons out of Kong before he departs to meet with Torkel the tank engine, who kicks the shit out of Sorfin Torfin and sends him flying into the air like Team Rocket blasting off again. And this was the episode where... Um, I mentioned that Canute kind of has this revelation or like this epiphany about religion and kind of its deterring effects on on human nature, I guess. Um, he talks a lot about like love in this sense and death. I know there was, he was commenting on like, or the priest was commenting on whether or not Ragnar loved Canute um, and he called it more of discrimination. Um, and that love is a dead body and that death perfects a person. But I, like Canute comes again to this realization that, you know, why do we have to be bound by death um, in order to try to live a perfect life on earth? And like we we'll have to look to this um, ideal of paradise being beyond, uh, beyond like this earthly, um, earthly environment. So I think like he, I'm not sure if like he no longer believes in God but he has this mandate now that he wants to like create their own paradise um, on earth without being bound to this thought of death being the only way to actually achieve um, a happy life. Yeah, the the way the priest describes love is probably one of the most unique ways that I've ever seen it or heard it described um, across anything like anime, movies, general life like i i've never heard that before so it took me a bit to kind of understand what he was going for um but no i i think it is a, a huge turning point for canute and it is kind of nice to see him say in this world where violence is everything and violence is their reality and violence is all they know that there is a way to change it and i think this ties back to um kind of what we'll see as we talk about the next couple episodes this ties back to what Askeladd's mother had talked about very often is that there's this better thing out there. There's this leader out there who will save all of us. And he, I mean, Askeladd sees that. He sees that in Canoe. We don't know about it until later, but he sees that. He understands that. Mm -hmm. And that's why he changes his tune when he meets Canute. One other thing about this episode, 
Again, I like that these episodes give us little reminders that we're watching an anime. At the very end, you see Canute with a slick flick of his cape. Um, once he like he resolves his his ideologies, and at that point, I realized, and you brought this up, that Canute is voiced by Kensho Ono, who was the voice of Giorno Giovanna. Giorno Giovanna. So not only does Giorno Giovanna have a dream. Canute has a dream. And blonde hair. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. In episode 19, United Front, Sorfin Torfin tries to continue the duel after coming to his senses, but realizes that his arm is Fubar. Askeladd tends to his wounds, while Torko the tank engine reveals that he was the mighty Tors' older brother and led the Yom's Vikings with him until he went AWOL and gave up on the click-clack. They resume their duel, and with Askeladd's help, Sorfin Torfin takes down the giant and is declared the winner. Prince Zelda shows up and tells Torkel the tank engine that he intends to duel the king in Gainsborough for being a shitty father, and Torkel and Askeladd agree to back him up since the prince is no longer a pussy bitch. Yeah, when he said he was going to duel his father, I was like, is he literally going to go hand-to-hand combat with a sword or whatever um, against his father? Because that idiot's going to die. <laughs> Has he ever <laughs> held a sword before? I think I, my guess was that he meant more like um like big picture than that like his men would go up against the king's men but if he actually meant a one-on-one duel i don't know man <laughs> yeah there's no way that like again it's nice that canute has this about face but there's no way yeah there was no way i mean by anime logic that could be enough that that change of heart could be enough to suddenly become like an, an insanely skilled warrior because you know anime logic doesn't always work the same way as real life logic but i'm glad that they they kept it somewhat realistic in this show because yeah, i don't think that that would have been you know a real thing also the, really the only thing i wanted to mention about like the fight with thorfinn and thorkel is the fucking arm part when he yells at thorkel after he launches him and thorfinn like points at him to yell at him but his arm is just bent like uh. 90 degrees the wrong way <laughs> And it, the way they did it was brilliant. It was brilliant because it was such a humorous part, right? Like it was Thorfinn being his, his you know, grumpy old self and he's just yapping away and he shoots his arm up. So we have no warning as an audience. You're just like, whoa, wait a minute. So mm-hmm. you're just as shocked as Thorfinn is in that moment because we literally at the same time he's realizing what's going on with his arm, we're realizing it. Like you can relate to his surprise as he lifts his arm up and it's just dangling there. I don't know. It just, that was so well done. It was so gross, but so well done. I just love that part so much. Yeah, it gave him a reality check, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only other thing I wanted to point out about this episode is starting here, you see a lot of the characters start to reference, again, the question of what a real warrior is. Um, and Thorkel says, like, what's important for a warrior is where their soul is. And I think that, again, that's in reference to his last interaction with Tors before Tors went off to, to start his family. Um, and it's interesting that they, that Torkel says at some point, like, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was in his interaction with Tors or if this was him talking about their interaction. He says somewhere, but not here, which I believe was the title of the very first episode of this series. Um, again, it, I guess referencing the life that, Tors was looking for is like again not what is currently happening with like these vikings but somewhere beyond where he can actually enjoy it yeah whether that's iceland or vinland 
right? Yeah. But yeah. to piggyback off of that, I I enjoyed that that part a lot. The the flashback that Thor Thorkel had, because um, we see for Thor's that, as you pointed out, he was serious about being with his family and not fighting anymore, not being part of all of that anymore. Um, and I think a big indicator of like how serious he was was um, Ilva herself, because I feel like it may have been a slightly different dynamic if he made a choice to make a change because of Thorfinn, um, or if, if Thorfinn was born first because he's a boy. And this is an age where, you know, women don't really have kind of a, a place or any power. So he still decides to give up everything to be with his wife and his daughter. I could see if he decided mm. to give up everything to protect his son, because, you know, in that time, you know, men kind of had a uh, more power and all that. But we see in that that flashback too, which I think also kind of plays to that point, that when Thorkell's trying to get Thors to come back to the Vikings, Helga tries to speak up to him about, you know, all that and about wanting to leave. And Thorkell just continues to talk right over her. So we see that small snippet of like Helga, who's very, you know, quiet, doesn't really speak up very much, trying to, you know, defend her her husband's actions. And because she is who she is, he, Thorkel, her uncle, kind of just ignores it all together. But again, this, again, what I'm trying to say is this all ties back to how serious Thor's was about being nonviolent and, and moving away from that and just protecting his family. He, if he d- had done it for his son, right, it would have been a very different feeling. You could still get the whole gist behind it, but it would have been a very different feeling. But because he does it for his wife and his daughter, um, I thought that was great. And I think, too really quick as I'm talking through this, it also kind of reminds me of that other flashback we get where Helga has Ilva and Thor's like, okay, great. You had a baby. I'm going to leave now. Right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not a son. I don't think he was, I feel like he may have been more excited about it if it was a son. Um, But then, you know, Helga tells him to fucking name this child. And then I think that's when things started to click for him. Yeah. I get, I think it's, it was a mentality of Thor's that Torkel is trying to wrestle with again because of the times. Um, but like, again, this episode, you're seeing him trying to wrestle with like the decision that Tor's made, um, and relaying that to Torfin. And I think a big part of that too, is that Thorkel only cares about the fight. That's all he cares about. That's all he's excited by. And we see that time and time again, as we get to know his character more. Mm -hmm. So I think it's even more amplified when he tells him that he wants to leave just to be with his family. He's probably like, what? That like literally makes no sense to him, I think. Yeah, in that case, like Torkel is the ultimate representation of like glorified violence, and then we'll see that Askeladd's kind of that in between, um, and sort of the 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 interplay um, between those two thoughts of thinking. In episode twenty, Crown, after reaching Gainsborough, Prince Zelda asks Floki the Four Squared for a meeting with Daddy Denmark. Torfin and Askeladd sense an ambush in the King's Hall but Prince Zelda orders them to stand down. Turns out that it's a trap! But before the king can off with their heads, Askeladd convinces him to join forces with Prince Zelda due to his upper hand in the conflict with England, and Daddy Denmark decides to throw a banquet in York to celebrate the occasion. Despite this, Prince Zelda asks Ragnar's wary diplomat brother Gunnar to keep tabs on the measly-faced monarch. Also, Askeladd sends the Viking comic relief brothers home, and also, also, Leif Erikson Day is still looking for Torfin. Two quick things here. We see the seeds of Canute's growing confidence in his leadership ability and his sort of adherence to Askeladd's way of thinking 
Um, although I feel like he kind of takes a hybrid approach uh, towards the end of the series. And the scene at the very end where Askeladd sends the two brothers home, I think Torgrim was the one that was like shocked into fighting Torkel that he kind of lost his memory. Yeah, which is just so funny. <laughs> yeah. um, but Askeladd sends him away and gives, I think, the other brother, Atli, his gold bracelet and says, like, go home and never pick up a sword. Which makes sense because they were, I think, pretty incompetent fighters. Um, but here you see Askeladd starting to understand, like, this this Viking life is no way to, to really live. I think he's starting to understand Thor's. Yeah. From, like, a, at least, like, a philosoph- philosophical level. Yeah. <laughs> As I struggle to say that word. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. In episode 21, Reunion, Prince Zelda sails for York and is seemingly assassinated by a hitman but turns out it was just one of Askeladd's anime schemes to turn public favor against the king. Leif Erikson Day finally reunites with Sorfin Torfin, but sees that the young boy he once knew is so consumed with teenage angst that he refuses to return home until he has the chance to merc Askeladd. The two agree to a duel with Prince Zelda and Torkel the Tank Engine as witnesses, but a wounded Bjornki Kong butts in to fight Askeladd first, whom the latter honorably kills before facing the angsty Icelander. This was a great scene when um, Askeladd and, and Bjorn are dueling, which is a very short duel. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I, I think I fully expected Askeladd to tell him, him being Bjorn, no, you were not one of my friends. Because Bjorn asked him in his dying breath, like, was I your friend? You know, I, I just wanted to be your friend. Um, and I was ready for Askeladd because what we had seen of him up until this point, except for what you mentioned in the last episode, that he was nice to the two brothers and, and wanted to like help them out. I was fully, fully expecting Askeladd to say, you know, you weren't my friend. But in that moment, he says, yes, you were my friend. Um, and I, I find that interesting. And I, I don't know really what sets Bjorn apart from all the other Vikings that were loyal to, to Askeladd for so many years. Why was Bjorn different? Um, I mean, he's definitely more of a focus among all the characters. But as I watched that and I was pleasantly surprised, I kept thinking like, but why was he different? Why would Askeladd consider him to be more of a friend than everyone else that he was already ready to betray? I think because like obviously Bjorn was very loyal to Askeladd until the very end. Like he didn't turn on him um, when the mutiny happened. Uh, I think they commented too on like, um, in a previous episode about uh, Askeladd's style of leadership. Um, but in a way, I guess the way that Askeladd kind of honorably kills Bjorn, I can kind of see that as Askeladd trying to find closure with, um, again, that, that Viking warrior code. Um, because like Bjorn, again, is loyal to Askeladd because he's this formidable leader and um, is formidable in combat. But as Askeladd realizes that you know, the the warrior code, I guess, is not the way to to live life. This is him kind of closing that chapter. And poor Uncle Leaf, like he, he plans to stay in York until Torfin decides to go home. Like I think this man has been searching for Torfin for like ten years. And like as soon as he sees him, like obviously he's he's a changed boy. Um, but he still sticks out a little bit of hope for him. He's best uncle, for sure. <laughs> I mean, he's not literally his uncle, but he's best uncle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you see Torfin again, hearkening back to the question of what a warrior is. And he says here, 
in this episode. Everyone's obsessed with deceiving each other. Is that what a warrior is supposed to do? So everyone is constantly asking this question in these later episodes. And I feel like it's answered in a way once we reach the end. In episode 22, Lone Wolf, Sorfintorfin prepares to lay the smack down on Askeladd, but the latter throws away his sword and ends up being the one to lay the down smacking until Prince Zelda stops the fight. Askeladd then recounts his childhood as the son of a ruthless Viking warrior who fathered numerous children through various expendable mistresses, including Askeladd's mother. Eventually gaining his favor and his inheritance, Askeladd killed his father in cold blood and framed one of his half-brothers for the crime. He contrasts his experience with Sorfintorfin's pathetic efforts to kill him, and acknowledges Prince Zelda as a suitable leader of the Vikings that he oh so dearly loathes. Sorfin Torfin, distraught over his inability to avenge his father's death, lets out a strained cry, which is actually more pleasant to hear in his angsty teenager form than his bratty toddler form. So I know that the fight between Askeladd and Bjorn was in the previous episode, but you get that recap in the beginning of this episode, episode 22, um, of that, that fight, and it wasn't until that recap that I noticed that when Askeladd is done, I guess, finishing off Bjorn, there's a shot of him um, just kind of standing there with his sword. And you can actually see that they added in the steam or the heat coming off of his sword because of the warm blood on there. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought that was such a cool, small little detail. Like when animators do that kind of thing, they don't need to do that, right? And most of the time it's going to go unnoticed as it went unnoticed for me the first time I saw that scene. But it's just, it's so nice to see those kinds of things. And it's even better when you can pick up on them and appreciate them because that just shows how much they care about what they do and telling this really incredible story. Yeah, another thing is that you, you kind of see this aura um, surrounding Askeladd's body. And I noted that he kind of stands similarly to how Tors did during their initial boat confrontation, kind of showing that Askeladd's almost stepped out as a changed man um, after after defeating Bjorn. Um, and I think Torfin also notices this and I think comments on how Askeladd suddenly f seems different. We also get, so in this episode, of course, pretty much all of Askeladd's backstory. Um, and I think what this reveals or at least reinforces for us is that true distinction between him and Thorfinn. Askeladd has no honor and we see that he killed his dad in his sleep and framed his brother who then got killed for it whereas thorfinn had um you know he had, he had that chance in the beginning of the show to kill Askeladd in his sleep and stopped himself because his father taught him honor so their upbringings are are very very different um thorfinn having lived that loving you know childhood and Askeladd not having done that um, but we also see that that has an immediate consequence on their ability to survive in the world of Vikings. Askeladd is a renowned fighter. He's got all this training and stuff, and no one really taught him how to do that. I mean, granted, he had some of that or like inherited from his dad, but Thorfinn also did. He inherited his fighting abilities from Thor's, but he just, I guess, didn't have as much of a... Uh, a formal rough upbringing and, and doesn't know how to hone it as well. So it's just really fun to see the dynamics between the two because they're always at odds with each other and this just kind of reinforces why that is yeah and i like Askeladd, um kind of insulting torfin uh, i think towards the end of the battle um he says like you're just like a dog chasing after food which is similar to like the, the 
the Dark Knight quote from the Joker, like he's just like a dog chasing cars. Because I feel like Askeladd acknowledges like once Torfin does have the opportunity to to kill him, like what's he gonna do after that? And I think that's him planting the seeds in Torfin that, um, you know, this cycle of vengeance is not going to be worth it in the end. Like, Askeladd's already experienced this because he offed his father in his sleep, and now he has to, again, live with this notion of being dishonorable and just being so ingrained in this this violent uh, Viking life. Um, but it feels like he's, at the same like he's insulting Torfin at this time, but he's also, like, subtly telling him, like, Maybe this life isn't for you. In episode 23, Miscalculation, Sorfin Torfin wanders York having lost the will to live, but is able to take down a random villager he mistakes for Askeladd without using weapons. He is thrown in jail and is visited by Leif Erikson Day, who tries to give him hope by inviting him to sail to Vinland like the mighty Tors would have wanted for him. Meanwhile, the king gathers the Imperial Council to announce his control over England, thanks to Prince Zelda and Torkel the Tank Engine, and his plans to attack Ireland. Askeladd thinks it's all coming together, until the king announces his intention to attack Wales, his homeland, for their insolence. Askeladd tries to have big brain time about what to do next, and confides in Torkel the tank engine of his true heritage before he is called forth by the measly-faced monarch. And in the very last episode of the series, number 24, end of the prologue, Askeladd is rewarded with 50 pounds of silver for rescuing Prince Zelda, but takes the opportunity to try and talk the king out of attacking Wales. However, the king gives him an ultimatum in either saving Wales or saving Prince Zelda, and subsequently mocks Wales as an exporter of slaves, which solidifies Askeladd's decision to give him a nice fatal trim off the neck. He declares his real name as Lucius Artorius Castius, legitimate heir to Britannia, and tries to fend off the king's guard. Elsewhere, Sorfin Torfin is about to sail off with Leif Erikson Day, but hastily returns to the hall at the last minute to see Prince Zelda stab Askeladd in the heart and earn his title as king, which Torkel the tank engine sees as all part of the plan. Askeladd implores Sorfin Torfin to make something of his life as he dies in his arms, and the angsty Icelander attacks Prince Zelda in a rage for robbing him of his kill. Prince Zelda, however, forgives him, demotes Floki the Foursquared, and crowns himself as King Zelda of England and the Vikings. Torfin lets go of his father's dagger, which gleams with a montage of flashbacks off the blade, and begins his travels with Leif Erikson Day. And then we see a ginger, but of course the episode ends right before we get a chance to know him. Hinga, Dinga, fucking Durgan. So obviously a lot to say about this episode. Um... In the earlier part, we see Thorfinn about to go off with Leif Erikson on that boat until he saw the bird. And I think the bird symbolized the freedom because the bird just could fucking fly away. Um, And I think he realized that he could not really be free until um, he's able to fulfill his lifelong revenge story of killing Askeladd. Um, But then we get to the end of the episode. I'm jumping around a little bit here. We get to the end of the episode and we get the the other symbolism of him letting go of the dagger, his father's dagger, which I think represents him actually being free, even though he didn't get to kill Askeladd and he's freaking out and he's upset about it. This is actually his freedom. He can Mm -hmm. finally move on from this, which he spent a decade, you know, harping on. Um, So it's interesting that both the bird and the dagger in this episode represent that freedom. 
And really, at the end of the day, it's probably a good thing that Thorfinn didn't kill Askeladd because would killing him have solved anything? Would Thorfinn really truly have felt the actual freedom he longed for if he was the one to kill Askeladd? Because then he has to always carry that weight of, of killing somebody that he, I think, subconsciously has grown pretty close to. And, I mean, he's killed a lot of people up until then, but no one that I think has had such an impact on his life the way Askeladd has. So again... I think it would, I, I love that he didn't kill Askeladd. That was a very, very, very unexpected ending um, to their story, the two of them. Um, but I think it's the right ending because this is not what Thor's would have wanted for his son. And it he didn't necessarily need to kill Askeladd in order to be free. Yeah, to kind of comment on Askeladd's death a little bit further. Like you said, it, it was very unexpected and also very like unceremonious of an ending for Askeladd because you would expect like my expectation was you know there's going to be like a final showdown between him and Torfinn at the very end but you don't even get like this this honorable like warrior death for for Askeladd um but I think it's fitting because like even though it wasn't like this expected warrior death for him like Askeladd still understands and discovers like what it means to be like a true warrior and for Canute being the person to to kill him instead of Torfin, I think was a very symbolic thing, um, like in purposely again robbing Torfin of that kill because it ends up saving Torfin from this again cycle of revenge and violence, and it establishes Canute as a leader. Not that like Canute is going to like resort to violence because this is where I said before like I think. Canute is adopting like this hybrid idea of leadership where yeah he has to like use violence at some point but it's only not for the sake of violence but to to establish himself again as a leader of England and as a proper leader of the Vikings um yeah that's a really good point I don't think Askeladd regrets how he died um, I think, in fact, he's happy about the way he died because this is him in his final moments being able to secure Canute as being that new leader, which aligns with what his mother had constantly taught him and talked about to him growing up, that this is the new leader that's coming. And it's going to change everything. We're all going to be saved. Mm -hmm. So he dies knowing that he made this possible. He secured that future for everyone. Um, and I think that that may make him happy. Yeah, and... One thing I wanted to comment on that just highlights this this emotional scene um, between Askeladd and Thorfinn, and I guess the Canute is just the the music that plays as Askeladd dies. It's it's just very very haunting and very melancholy, and just really pulls you into that moment, and again like envelops you in this journey that has come to an end now between the trio. I guess we also have Askeladd ask. Thorfinn not even or I don't know if he asked him but he points out to Thorfinn that he probably never stopped to think about what he would do after Askeladd was finally dead he was so hell-bent on revenge a slave to revenge which is something that you know a concept that came up earlier in the show everyone's a slave to something Thorfinn was a slave to revenge that it consumed everything about him he wasn't even happy to see Leif Erikson because all he could think about was this revenge um not even the vision, one of the last visions that we get of his father telling him to stop pursuing revenge um, stops him from actually wanting to pursue that that revenge. So I think Thorfinn is so shocked by by that realization 
um, that I don't think he's necessarily going to, you know, 180 and like come to this conclusion that, oh, you know what, this is all for the best or whatever, that this is the outcome. But I think it's going to start to sit with him, you know, as the story progresses, it's going to be something that, that he's going to, you know, stop and think about and realize this wasn't worth it. At least I assume so. And one of the last things that Askeladd says to him is like, how do you plan to live your life, Torfin? Don't stay in a boring place like this forever which, again, kind of solidifies that, that way of thinking. Two visual things I wanted to point out. And again, these are reminders that we are watching an anime. Um, Askeladd's samurai strike of his sword, I think this is after he beheads the king. Like, he, he swipes the sword to, like, get the blood off of it, which is much like, you know, something you see in, like, samurai films where, like, they'll swipe the blood off their sword or off their katana before sheathing it. Uh, I just thought that was pretty funny to include, again, in a historical show about Vikings. And then the other thing was, I think Torfinn jumps over all the people in the hall to reach Askeladd, which was very, that also felt like a very anime move. Because it's almost like what um, Jonathan did in part one of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, when he jumps over the entire fountain to run over to Theo. (laughs) Well, we see Thorfinn do something similar actually probably more impressive when um they're storming that fort and he jumps over the moat like by himself he just like mm-hmm, runs and yeah. just jumps over and then clings onto the side of this brick wall with his two daggers so i guess if he could do that he could jump over some people not literally but you know mm-hmm. well it's again we're watching an anime anime logic right so a lot of what i want to say is more around the bigger picture of this show and some of the themes that that we have going back to what i mentioned earlier the show does a great job of making you feel conflicted all the time you spend all this time watching the characters develop discovering more and more about them and even wanting to root for them and then you get this big dose of reality like in episode 14 um and again that stark reminder that they uh, of who they really are and how they actually behave killing and stealing and whatnot and then you go back to not knowing how you feel or want to feel about them. By the end of the show, I wasn't sure anymore if I was rooting for Thorfinn or Askeladd to win their duel or neither of them just because of the things that they had done. Yeah, I think that all just cycles back to, again, violence not being such a black and white thing. Like there, there is a gray in it um, that these characters have to realize. Like you don't, like you don't know who, who's right or who's wrong because that's just the nature of violence um and kind of breaking out of that mold is is what some of these characters like, like again Askeladd, Torfinn, and Canute um have had to reconcile with to truly understand um what it is that they want out of life the show also does a fantastic job of portraying raw emotion without forcing it the emotion is so natural and real um, that even when you hear one of Thorfinn's like really angsty shrieks, at first you want to cringe and kind of laugh at it, but then you very quickly identify with it and relate to it. We've all been there. We've all had that level of like frustration or being upset or just like so pissed that things aren't going the way you expected or going any way that you expected. Um, and I, I can, I get, I get that. I, I relate to Thorfinn. Like he can be a little bitch sometimes, but I relate to kind of what he's going through. When I think back to, you know, my life when I was, you know, a young kid or whatever, or even, you know, even now, I'm sure there's things that I can relate to. Um, 
But yeah, so I think that they, they hit the nail on the head every time when they deliver those emotions, even if it is like over the top in the moment afterwards, it sits with you and you're like, actually, yeah, I do get that. And then I have some final thoughts on the two main characters. Um, first with Askeladd, I feel like Askeladd, especially after we saw that last episode, did on some level care about Thorfinn. There were plenty of moments where he either saved Thorfinn or taught him a valuable lesson about fighting or about life, even though, you know, maybe right before that, he may have said that he didn't care about the kid. Um, I think Askeladd completely understood Thorfinn because he was once in the same situation of rage and revenge. Um, And he probably also realized that Thorfinn was far from being ready to defeat him. So he was all Thorfinn really had to look up to and, and to be somewhat raised by until he's ready to reach that level of like dueling him and defeating him. Plus what we talked about with these last couple of episodes, when you see that change in, in, um, in Askeladd where he becomes a little more compassionate, I think he saw Thor's for the noble and honorable, honorable person that he was and always carried that guilt of killing him. And I think that guilt compounded, um, a little bit when he met Canute and, and saw Canute's, you know, focus on, on kindness um, and wanting to lead with kindness. On the flip side of things with Thorfinn, it's a bit sad seeing him become the very thing that his father tried to prevent. Um, this show doesn't hold back. Like, it, it puts you in those situations that make you uncomfortable or, or, you know, you would never expect a show to go, like a direction that you'd never expect them to go. Um and like I mentioned before, the memories and the lessons from Thor's were some of the only things that kept Thorfinn grounded and kept him human and kept him, um, it prevented him from completely turning into a horrible person. I think I mentioned this maybe the, the last podcast episode about Vinland Saga. But what's interesting is that we see far less memories of Thor's in the second half. Granted, the second half is much more focused on Askeladd and like Canute's arcs. But Thorfinn is still our main character, and it's been so long, at least it feels so long, um, that perhaps some of his memories of Thor's are fading over the 10 years that we follow his story. You know, I think that fundamental lesson that Thor's was teaching him is still there in Thorfinn, but the, the memories are fading, and therefore the power of what he tried to teach his son is maybe fading a little bit. He'll always still care about his father, obviously because he never gave up on his revenge um, against Askeladd for killing his father. And his father will always be his driving force. But it just seemed like, you know, you you kind of felt that time really took a toll on Thorfinn and, and his connection with his father. Which is where I think Askeladd's change of heart becomes important because in a way he, even though, like you said, um, Thorfinn's memories of his father and of the ideals he lived for are, are kind of fading, like... Askeladd kind of reinforces that in a new way for him. And then, you, again, you see that conclude with um, Askeladd telling Thorfinn, like, this is no way to live your life. Um, it's a very interesting relationship between the both of them. And I'm trying to think of of a similar relationship in another series or, or pop culture medium that's comparable. But I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast episode. Um, it's a lot like... Um, the movie of Bronx Tale, where yeah, it wasn't like the, the main character of that was was trying to kill off the antagonist, but um, it was a, like a relationship between this person who was who wanted to be part of the mob, but the the head of the mob was kind of telling him the same thing, like this is not something that you want to surround your life with. Um, 
I think that's like one of the highest points of this show with Vinland Saga is that relationship between Askeladd and Thorfinn. And again, Askeladd reminding Thorfinn of what his father stood for and what his father wanted for him. It's also kind of sad that when Leif Erikson is trying to get him to come home, he even mentions like your your mother and your sister are waiting for you. Your mother's not doing well. She's she's sick and she's dying. And that has no impact on Thorfinn whatsoever. Like it's been that long. He's been so hellbent on revenge for that long. And he's been away from them for that long that he doesn't even react. I mean, he may have. I could be wrong. Um, I don't recall him reacting, though, which mm-hmm. is kind of sad. And really, I kind of wish we saw more of Thorfinn in the latter half. Um, the first half, you become so invested in him, and you're kind of rooting for him to get some like fucking faster character development. <laughs> and then it doesn't even feel like he's the main character by the second half. I get it, though. They needed to shift the focus to Askeladd because he was going to die, and he was a great character to watch, so I'm not mad or anything. But I'm I'm hoping that there will be a season two and that we can actually see some character development for Thorfinn because they would always kind of tease it. But he felt he he did feel one note for most of the show, um, but I think there's tons and tons of potential for him to have some incredible development. Yeah, that was one downside with this part is again like I understand like they had to focus more on Askeladd to kind of wrap up his story, and it's still intertwined with Thorfinn's. But like Thorfinn has to kind of take the back seat here, um, and I thought like the assumption was maybe in season two, if there is a season two, um, that we'll get back onto. Uh, Torfin's side of the story but then yeah it's it implied like the the title of this last episode is end of the prologue which confused the shit out of me yeah but then you you see the ending of this episode and it's a completely different character like is if there is a season two are they going to focus on these other characters there's also the open question of you know prince harold is still a threat to the throne even though canute declared himself king like i i want to see if they ever tie up that loose end um but who knows? I did a little bit of Googling, not a ton, because I just needed to know in general if there's more to the story. I assumed it like that these uh, 24 episodes were going to cover the entire story, but apparently there's a lot more going on in the manga. Um, I don't read manga, and I don't want to be spoiled by it, so I didn't look into it too much. But a lot of people are um, speculating or hoping that there will be a season two um, and I think there have been some tweets from some of the animators and stuff that are like hinting at it. So who knows? Fingers crossed. I would love a season two. One thing that I wanted to quickly point out is kind of the historical context of this show. So the Viking Age began around like 793 AD, which is 300 years prior to the events of this show. Um, but Torfinn's real story, which I think he's based on the figure Torfinn Karlsefni, is not really as vengeful or bloodthirsty. Uh, there's an article um, on the biggest in Japan blog called The Real His- Real World History Behind Vinland Saga, which states that the show is based on two histories that were collectively called the Vinland Sagas, um, the Saga of the Greenlanders and the Saga of Eric the Red. Um, but I'm pretty sure in that in those two stories, like Torfinn and Canute, they're talked about, but I don't think they had ever crossed paths in real life. And then Askeladd himself is mostly like an entirely fictional character that was based on different Viking legends and historical figures. But I think what I like about the show is that it's entirely plausible that at this show's juncture in the Viking Age, there probably was a question of whether or not like the violent Viking lifestyle was sustainable and 
whether or not like they should have turned more to you know exploration again with the whole focus on finding Vinland or raising families as the appropriate alternative to to continuing um, their bloodlines. So I like that you know even though like they, you have these primary source documents of the Viking Age that the author of this story. I'm not sure of his name, and I apologize. I don't have it um, offhand, but he he kind of takes like what happened in that history and puts it into this very emotional and very strongly plot-driven story. The only other thing I want to say to kind of wrap up my thoughts on this show, but I do have a question. But before I ask that, I think the biggest crime in this entire show is that Floki got away with no punishment. He was so annoying, and he's the one who instructed Askeladd to kill Thors in the first place. And I'm sure it wasn't mm. his directive necessarily, but he did it. He said it. And that son of a bitch just walks away. He just walks away. A little Like a little bitch in the moment, but he walks away. And that's so annoying. Yeah, all he gets is like a demotion, which is basically a slap on the wrist. But yeah, he pretty much orchestrated all these events. Yeah, and he has a square head, and it bothers me. And a four squared. <laughs> so the question that I have for you is this do you consider Askeladd to be the villain he may be an antagonist of sorts to Thorfinn but do you consider him to be the villain of the story that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) I would say that he is more of the anti-hero I mean yeah he, he does start off as the villain but the more you learn about him Again, you understand his motivations. So I think towards the end of it, I would see him more as the anti-hero. I don't even know who I would consider like the actual villain of the story. I think the villain of this story is Thorfinn's desire for revenge. Mm. That's honestly what I... I mean, at least for, for Thorfinn. I think revenge is the villain of this story. Yeah. Um, for both Askeladd and for um, for Thorfinn. Yeah, I think like yeah, metaphorically, that would be the villain. Physically, it's probably the king of Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to assign that to a, even, a physical person. Even Thorkel ends up joining their side. Right. Um, so I guess you could say it was the king of Denmark. Because he, isn't he the one who gave the directive to Floki to then have um, Thor's killed? Yeah. So maybe And then he's, to have like Canute offed. Yeah. Maybe he's the true villain. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Askeladd is more of an anti hero, um, someone who on the surface seems like the villain, but really isn't the villain at the end of the day to our main character Thorfinn I I don't necessarily think that understanding somebody's motivation or or reasons for doing something makes them the villain or not the villain I get what what you're saying like it's it's easier to kind of get into that gray area when now that we know more about him but you can still understand a character's motivations and and still identify them as the the villain but with Askeladd it's like I think Thorfinn wants really bad for Askeladd to be the villain so that he has more justification, more drive to defeat him. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he's just not. He's he's just a father figure to him, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. And with that, let's go ahead into our final rating and final thoughts. How many Hinga Dinga Durgans out of 10 would you give Finland Saga? Um, I would give it, and I didn't think this way after the first half, but now with the second half, I do strongly feel this way. I would give it nine and a half out of 10. I was thoroughly impressed. Um, the latter half saved the day, but it also gave more validity to the first half. 
um, and, and gave more power to the first half. Um, I I enjoyed it. I think there were so many from from little tiny um, decisions to like big storytelling decisions. There were so many unexpected things that they did with the story and things that were like, you know, it's a possibility, right? Like, you know, it's a possibility that their duel never happens and that Asklad or that Thorfinn doesn't get to kill Asklad, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes I feel like other shows or movies or whatever don't take advantage of that and they use the more expected decision, the more expected ending, um, whatever, to whether it's to, to please the, the audience or just to have more of a clean ending. And they did not do that with multiple things for this show. And I like that. I like seeing for, for the first time in a long time what does happen if this doesn't pan out the way the main character wanted? What does happen if you're left with this really open-ended ending where you're like, okay, like now what? Is he is is Thorfinn happy? Is he gonna be okay? Like shit, this is all he wanted for ten years and he didn't get it. I think that's great and it's it's brave of them to go in that direction. Mm. What about you? I would give it eight and a half hinga dinga dargans. Um, I like that it, it takes your typical vengeance plot and kind of infuses it with these very lofty discussions about human nature and the like the concepts of violence. Uh, I think what, even though this was a very strong second half, stronger than the first half, I would have liked to have seen more proper character development for Torfin, but I know it was like Askeladd's show to steal. Um, but even then, like I think we would have benefited a little bit more from seeing Torfin's side. Because we only get it like in very small hints and glances and to your point i kind of love that the show doesn't end in the way that we expected with canute being the one to kill off Ascalad instead of torfin and that torfin was robbed of the kill and that it's a lesson i think that's a lesson in itself where it's like it's not about the destination it's more about the journey and to kind of tie things all together um the show tries to answer the question like what is it that makes a true warrior and I think what it's trying to emphasize is that the answer to that is sacrifice, which is like turning away from like this turbulent life that you once embraced in order to live your life with a truer purpose. Or in Askeladd's case, like sacrificing your own life so that others may live with a true purpose. Or maybe it's the Vikings that we killed along the way. And that wraps up episode 25 of Strictly Anime. New episodes premiere every other Monday at 9 a.m. Central. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on the anime that we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>